It's time for Dima Live, the number one radio show in the private service industry. Dima Live is a radio show that allows private service professionals to discuss topics that pertain to their industry. Now, here are your hosts, Dima National President Matthew Hack and private service professional DJ Haverkamp. The past few months have been a historic time here in the United States. We've had an unprecedented presidential election. The stock market is at record highs, and Cuba is opening its doors to the United States. Just like on the world scene, historic events happen on a regular basis. So it is within our families and business events that are worthy of remembrancing also that occur. Today on our show, we're going to be exploring the role of the estate manager as family historian. Welcome to Dima Live. Dima Live is an online radio show intended to bring private service professionals, product suppliers, principals, and recruitment agencies together to discuss topics of interest to the high net worth service industry. Dima Live is produced by the Domestic Estate Management Association, a professional trade association with a mission to serve those who serve others. The Dima website is www.domesticmanagers.com. My name is DJ Haverkamp. I'm a professional service uh, provider in the New York City area. My co-host, Matthew Hack, president of the Domestic Assignment Association, is unable to uh, be with us today because he's in a, an area that has poor telephone reception. So he'll be joining us again next week or possibly later even in the show if he can get to a, a place with good service. If you'd like to chat online with other listeners during a live show, you can do so by registering at the blogtalkradio.com website. If you'd like to submit a question for our guest during the show, please text it to 914-525-1990. That's 914-525-1990. I uh, wanted to start out by asking Matt how his trip was to Chicago last week, but he's not going to be able to discuss that with us, so we're just going to jump right to our guest. Today we have Ken Durr with us. He's the Executive Vice President of History Associates. Uh, Ken, welcome to DEMA Live. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here. Uh, let me start out by just saying how grateful that we are to have you uh, take some time out of your day to discuss the, our topic today. Um, let's start out by just uh, taking a moment and having uh, uh, our listeners get to know you and maybe a little bit about History Associates. Yeah, sure thing. Well, I personally, I came up from a family of journalists, so writing and telling stories was always around me as I was growing up. Um, I took a different route, though. I was always interested in, in history, and I trained as a professional historian. Um, and I, I went to graduate school here in Washington, D.C., and at the same time, I'd, I'd just gotten married looking for a job. So I also took a job with History Associates, which was a much, much younger company then. And so I was actually really fortunate because I got training on the academic side at graduate school, and at the same time I was training on the practical side, learning how to be a historian for hire, so to speak. Now the company, as I said, it, it was uh, back when I started about 25 years ago. It was a little younger then. It started in 79. Um, the Department of Energy historian, uh, it, it was just after the Three Mile Island nuclear accident, which some, some folks might remember. The Department of Energy historian was looking to get a, a, a after-action book written, and he hired three academic historians to write it. So they did that. Afterwards, they kind of decided that they might be able to do this for a living, you know, write, writing history books for hire. 
And so the company really grew out of that government work. The four of, the, of those, the, the Department of Energy historian and the, and the three uh, academics, became the founders of the company. Um, since then, we've kind of followed the market, as, as many businesses do. Um, you know, it, it really turned out that uh, just writing books for hire wasn't going to be a, a successful business model. So we diverse, diversified into archives, uh, collections management, um, re- research to be used in legal matters. Um, more recently, we've diversified into exhibit content. Um, and I took over the history book side back in the early 2000s and kind of diversified the types of books we offer. So we've, we've moved from the more academic type works to coffee table books and things like that. So that's, that's the thumbnail. Yeah, that's great. That's really interesting. It's it's um, I'm not sure how you and uh, Matt first got connected, but uh, I think it's kind of interesting to to think about how uh, histories and the whole concept of of keeping records kind of comes into play in in all of our lives in many ways. Um, and you know, you were talking a little bit about the the history aspects of what your company does. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about historians in general and just the whole field of professional historians and the kind of work they do and sort of just the big picture of history. Sure thing. Sure thing. Uh, It's a big picture. It's a big subject. You know, most people, when they think of historians, they think of a a stuffy guy in a a tweed jacket, um, maybe smoking a pipe, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, there's not a lot of people out there wearing tweed jackets anymore. I think there's still a few. Um, part of the stereotype is right. Most historians, even today, still work in the, a university setting. They teach uh, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, hist- historians, any historian, there, there's a, a lot of different kinds now, uh, but, but every historian does two things, really. They, they uncover information about what happened a long time ago or just recently. Um, they uncover information is one, and then they make sense of that information. They make sense of the past so that it's meaningful um, today. And so that's, that's why history is always getting revised, and people say things about revisionist history it's always good for an op-ed piece every few months or years. But, you know, there's a good reason why history always gets revised, because it's, it's inevitable. Um, the past, what the past means to us changes as we change. So that's why, you know, even if a company and organization uh, um, has a, a history uh, done 75, 50 years ago, that, that's a good reason why it's it's a good, good idea to take a look and maybe re- sort of redo that uh, in light of what things uh, mean now. Uh, The kinds of work people do, um, again, I I talked about historians teaching at the college level. Um, Recently, there's been a big push to train what they call public historians, and uh, those folks tend to work for parks, museums, the government, um, a few nonprofits, historical societies, that sort of thing. Um, and, and that seems to that, that's, that's a larger group of historians, but it's still relatively small compared to the academics. And there's a, a much smaller group who have figured out how to become historians for hire to offer historical services in a, in a for-profit setting. And that's uh, where we come in. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's, that's really great. It was interesting as I was getting ready for the show to be spending a little bit of time thinking about just general history, because what I find is that uh, as we go through our day-to-day lives, the things that are actually going to become historic are just today's news or today's events. And I just think it's kind of interesting to think about, like, as you look back in retrospect, the things that are happening that, like, as they happen may not seem that significant. But when you look at them from the past, it's like, oh, that was an important thing that happened that day. We ought to keep track of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was talking about. Um, you know, the, the past, uh, the meaning of everything changes as as times change. Yeah. The reason I think this is a great topic for the private service community is because what I see oftentimes is that when someone's working in private service in the role of the house manager or the butler or personal assistant, that sometimes they become the family historian sort of by default, Um, particularly if one has um, a family, you know, been with a family for an extended period of time. Uh, and, and a lot of times when we're working with uh, families that, that have their own private staff, they're going to be families that have a lot going on and may not be able to keep track of that for themselves. Or they're also people who are making or doing a lot of historic things. They, they're perhaps entertainers or they're people who are working in corporate environments that, that are real life-changing, have impact on society kind of people who have interesting lives, who have very interesting stories. Take on the role of, a, of an estate manager, it's really never listed in the job description as you're going to be kind of responsible for helping to keep up with the family history and keeping track of the pictures and all of those kinds of things. But what I find is, is that it can be a real advantage for uh, someone to, to add value to their employer if they're able to do that in that role. So, I just thought, uh, you know, that it's it's not a, a role that's oftentimes going to get the pressing attention. It's one that requires some planning and some foresight. If if you were in the role of as an estate manager and you were going to be helping a family try to keep up with their archive and their history, what would you what would you do? How how would you think about that? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, and we have worked with folks uh, who were estate managers, um, and, and, you know, you've got that gatekeeper role. You sort of – any number of things can, can come onto your plate. And and you're also right in that very few people put history at the top of the agenda. It's something that folks think about when they've got time or, or whatever. Um mm-hmm. and, and unfortunately, because of that, you know, we've run across um, – uh, uh, on a number of occasions, I've got one client right now, a, a high net worth uh, individual, uh, started a private company, um, you know, really changed the way people live and, and work, um, and he passed away suddenly. And, uh, you know, the, all of a sudden, a, a light bulb came on in people's heads, and they said, well, geez, we should have done something. Um, more often than not, you know, people just sort of put it aside and don't worry about it. Um, sometimes folks do think about, well, we ought to do something about that. You know, you, this is something you talk about at cocktail parties or whatever. But usually folks think they don't have time, they don't know where to start. 
But, you know, I think there's a couple things I can emphasize here. Even if you're not sure you want to spend a lot of time, a lot of money on, on history, you should keep in mind that, you know, your, the historical record, that past is something that's always changing. Uh, it, it's, it's not always, you know, it, it can go away. It can be lost. Um, so there's mm-hmm. a few things you can do to make sure that those stories, uh, the, the stories that all go together to make your history, there's some things you can do to make sure they're available, and the state managers can see that these things happen. Um, you know, simple stuff, organizing, um, making sure letters, photos, even artifacts are in a safe place. Uh, and, and equally important, make sure that everybody knows what you've got and where it is. Because so often we, we're like, well, we know that we did this and it was really great and just, I, you know, I have no idea who, who dealt with it last and, and that sort of thing. So keep a record of what you've got and just know where it is. Um, and, and more importantly, and I, you know, it's sort of what I alluded to before, make sure to capture the history that really can disappear. Um, you know, I, I mentioned the project that we we began right after the company founder passed away, and there was this sudden realization that, you know, the whole sort of the, the founding um, insight to to our corporation, what what all those early stories, what we were about, a lot of that's lost. Um, and so, conducting oral histories, uh, a formal oral history, is an important thing to do. It it really shouldn't be put off. Um, you know, high net worth individuals tend to be very busy. They tend to be fo- focused forward. Um, I think it's it's important to emphasize that you know, take some time off and and get your past on the record. And uh, prof- we professional historians talk about uh, doing oral history projects, and that's that's when you really set out to capture a lifetime of experiences and insights. You sort of talk through the career, talk through. Um, the whole trajectory, the ups and downs, and take things in a chronological order so that, you know, the, the past really unfolds. Um, you know, a good oral historian can can do a great job at that. Um, but you know, if if that's not in the in the plan, uh, at the very least, you know, talk to people, make some recordings, um, get get the record that way. So those those are the two most important things. You know, know where the materials yeah. are, the documents, the pictures. Know where that stuff is, and talk to the folks who you know might not be with you forever. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that really comes down to being proactive. I think mm-hmm. thinking ahead, planning ahead, and I know from my experience and from the the successful estate managers and folks who work in private service that I've talked with, being proactive is a very important part of being successful in in this industry so i wanted to ask you a little bit about history associates and the kinds of projects maybe you could tell us a little bit more about some of the different kinds of things i know you mentioned in general before but tell us more specifically Mm -hmm. about some of the kinds of projects that your company does sure sure um you know uh, we've we started out with books and we've done lots of them over the years. We've uh, you know one of the things we moved into was coffee table type books, uh, where we're, what we try to do is get a mix between that sort of the the, the graphic value, the the look and feel of the of the photo rich coffee table book with the solid uh, story, a solid well researched story. 
Um, we've done some of the academic books. Every now and then we, there's a demand for that kind of thing. Uh, my favorites have been biographies. We've actually written a few biographies, uh, and those have been terrific projects. Um, our exhibit group um, has produced content for some of the top museums in the country. Um, we work directly with exhibit designers and fabricators, um, you know, so there the the goal is sort of to make the story fit the furniture. You know, you, you come up with the photographic content, captions, that sort of thing. Um, increasingly, uh, we're working in digital history, you know, museums that just live online. Um, we've uh, One that w would be resonant, I think, to the, the audience here is uh, – we recently did a uh, – we've worked very closely with content developers to create a big web exhibit on the history of philanthropy. Um, goes right back to the beginnings of time and, and extends across philanthropy across all kinds of cultures. That was a, a really fun project, and it's it's one of our leading-edge sort of digital exhibits. Um, we've got a strong archive, archives, collections management uh, capability. Um, our folks there routinely work for government agencies, corporations, nonprofits, um, and also for high net worth individuals. Um, you know, and they 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 work sort of. There's kind of two packages, I think. One. Um, the archivist can come in and take a look at what you've got, walk around, look at the storage, and come back and give basically give you a plan, give you a roadmap to, to how to deal with this stuff. You know, uh, if you want to hire your own archivist, and if, if you have a huge collection or a sizable collection, you might want to do that. You can take our plan and you can kind of do it yourself. Um, but we've also, you know, got ca the capability to do that work in-house. Um, but I think, you know, that's that's one of the most important things that we do because um, people tend to be – one of the things that keeps people from doing anything about their history, I think, uh, certainly individuals, is just it's a bunch of stuff and I don't know where, where to start. And that's the kind of thing yeah. an archivist can help you do, you know. You, they can tell you what you can throw out, and there's always thing, there are always things you can throw out. Um, and there are things you need to keep. Um, and equally important, there's there's ways you need to keep stuff. So that, that's what our archivists do. Um, and, you know, a lot of our work, a lot of my work has been in business history, you know, writing corporate histories for Fortune 500 companies and small, private, privately held firms. Um, and it's really interesting because a lot of those privately held family businesses, we've started with the corporate story and – you know, we're working our way through, and it turns into a family story. And that we we talk to the client, we come back to the client, we, you know, and we we decide, well, what we're really doing here is we're writing a, a family history uh, rather than a corporate history or something that's a little bit of both. So those are some examples mm -hmm. of the work that we're doing that I think would mm -hmm. resonate with with your your clients. Yeah. So so walk us through the process if we. We're wanting to do a book mm -hmm. uh, or a coffee table family history or even to write the biography of somebody that right. that we were helping to work with. How like what what do you how does it work? What what happens? Yep. I mean what give us a step by step, break it down. Yep, I'll give you the step by step. I'll give you an actual project because you know, we wrote the book, it's widely available. Um Jack Kent Cook, do you remember him? 
uh, owner of the Washington Redskins for many, many years, cable television pioneer. Mm-hmm. Very, very. Mm-hmm. Um, he wore deerstalker hats all the time. Very colorful individual. Um, he mm-hmm. he lived one of those legendary up by the bootstraps lives. You know, um, he really by sheer force of will. Um, became a leader in business, uh, a leader in sports, um, leader in Washington D.C. Um, and so, in, when he in, when he died in his will, he established a foundation, and the foundation was to grant scholarships to young people uh, who had shown those kind of characteristics, that will and determination that to succeed that he had. So, and I think it was probably about uh, five or five or ten years in the the foundation wanted to decided we want to tell that story and we want it in a book and we wanted a book that can go to every recipient of these Jack Kent Cook scholarship awards. So, mm. um, so getting to the process, you know, the, the process uh, was, you know, the most important first step is you sit down face to face talk about expectations um you know and that's when they told us about the book and who they expected the the readership to be um how big do you want it to be what's the audience we talk about process um what you know what's what's on our minds or what what kind of sources are available um what kind of documentary stuff who can we talk to um we found out where Mr. Cook's artifacts and papers were. Um, we got were informed that his son would cooperate with us very closely, which is you know excellent. And the next step is the best part. Sort of you get up and you, and you move uh, away and you start pulling the story together, and that's really great because it's you know it's exploration, it's fun. You're learning something new. You're gaining new insights. Um, you know, we had an archivist go size up the collection. He provided them a plan with preserving everything, um, and he worked with our historian as our historian just combed through the material. Um, and then we also, at about the same time, we did an oral history project, and that's that's a very important part of any of, of our history projects because, um, you know, when there's a lot that doesn't make it in the written record. And there's a lot you only find out by talking to people. And this this one was fun. Mm-hmm. We got to talk to family members, business partners, um, owners of, of basketball teams, um, people from the charitable uh, area, uh, sports journalists, you know, famous coaches, stuff like that. Um, so I've sort of described the the research process. The next process is you know working with the client to say. What what kind of product are you going are we going to end up with here? And so we we after that we sort of pull together an outline. It's it's you know the blueprint. It's it's we say in just a few pages. Here's the big story. Here's what we see as being the story, and then here are the the sub themes, the 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 ways that that story is going to be developed. You know we we essentially give people a really good concrete view of how their what their book's going to look like and feel like when we're done. Um, and we talk that through, maybe do some revisions, and then we write the story. And we, you know, and you tell we tell the story two two ways at least. You know, one is the the core narrative, and one is the imagery. And you know, you don't just find pictures that that match up with whatever you said, but you really it, it's actually a skill to pull together a selection of imagery that tells the story in its own way, you know, in a, in a visual way. Uh, but once we've got all that done, again. You know, you sit down, you go back and forth with the client, making revisions, swapping out photos, fine-tuning. Um, and in that case, we, we did that until we got exactly the kind of book that, that the client wanted. 
Um, and then we co- coordinated the work of the book designer and the printer, um, again, working closely with the foundation. Um, and that one is memorable to me because we had a, a, there was a dinner, uh, the foundation held a dinner uh, for, for some of the scholarship recipients that year, and uh, our historian was able to give a speech talking about the the life of Jack Kent Cooke, what he learned, what what he knew, and and it, it's interesting because he was in the position to sort of have a better view than of Jack Kent Cooke's life than anybody in the room at that point. But that was a fun mm-hmm. pro- project, and those are the typical kinds of touch points. Um, it's really important to work closely with the client all along the way. Uh, sometimes the client needs a lot of time, particularly uh, high net worth individuals, corporate leaders. Um, you know, they can't just sit down and respond to uh, read our manuscript and respond uh, whenever we we say that we want them to. So we're patient. We know how to how to wait and work with people. Mm-hmm. And I can I can't help but think that the estate manager in a situation like that would play a, a fairly significant role in helping you coordinate who the players are, helping you set up interviews, helping you to. Yep. Uh, keep track of the papers, or they certainly should know if you take papers and, and are scanning them where those are at all the time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think you you put your finger on it earlier, and, and I was just talking about. It. I mean, these these people that that tend to be our clients tend, to, as you said, I think very early on, tend to be people who are doing big things, making big changes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're not spending their time organizing their lives. That's what that's what your right. estate managers are doing, <laughs> right? Um, right? And so that's mm-hmm. the thing that they can bring to this process and, 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 and mm-hmm. have done for us in the past, you know. Figure mm-hmm. out, keep mm-hmm. track of where the unprocessed documents, artifacts, photos, you know, know where those things are, make sure they're safe. Um, so keep track of who the players process. are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you go? Do you take things off site? Like, do you take things to your headquarters and do the scanning there and digitize yeah. things, or is that all? How does that work? It depends. Um, if if you if we're just coming in to to work on a, a book, a, a web exhibit, or an exhibit, you know, we can come in and and work with any kind of collection. We've worked with well processed archival collections. And we've worked with old boxes rotting in a basement or an attic. Uh, either way, mm-hmm. we can do it. But we would tend to work on site. It's much more effective, cost-effective, efficient. Um, and, and you know, our our motto or our mantra is: you go in, you work your way through all the material, you put it right back exactly the way you found it. You know, and and mm-hmm. then we take digital mm-hmm. images of documents, digital uh, uh, high-quality scans of images away with us. Now, if we're doing an archives project, there are two options, and we've we've done both of these regularly. One would be, um, you know, to have an archivist come in and work on site, um, and we uh, we that happens quite regularly. Um, it's also cost-effective, probably more cost-effective to have. Uh, the collection shipped here. We have climate-controlled storage, a uh, climate-controlled processing facility, so we can actually take a, a bunch of random boxes. I, I actually see this happen all the time. They come in on the truck, and they spend a few months here, and they go back as as a precisely organized uh, archival collection. You know, and there's always mm-hmm. a, a lot fewer of them, but it's a lot lot richer collection when it when it leaves. Yeah. Interesting. That's very interesting. The uh, the Domestic Estate Management Association is a bit unique 
in that we not only have individual members who work in private service, but we have a lot of businesses who are members of the association. What would you recommend to a business? I know you mentioned corporate histories, and that's a little bit different, say, than an individual's history. How would a business kind of keep up with its history, and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, it's funny, you know, having done this for uh, 25 years, uh, you see the same thing over and over again. Uh, almost every corporation has a, a box or two of really great stuff from the early years, the first 20, 50, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 years, all the old black and white pictures and the old documents and ledger books and registers. And then you go into the, the middle period and things thin out. It's like uh, all of a sudden we've we've the, we've stopped thinking about, you know, how great it is that we're doing this and we've stopped thinking about keeping records. Um and then toward the end things pick up again because there's a lot of digital material, you know, all of a sudden the photographs that were used in the in the newsletter, you know, didn't get tossed. They they remained on a hard drive. So it's it's funny that we end up uh you know in this this strange situation where it's often most difficult to recapture the middle phase of a business history. Um, but I think the things that a corporation needs to do are very similar to what we've talked about before. You know, keep keep materials um, and make sure people know where they are. Um, mm -hmm. I think one of the, the – there is something about corporate history, business history, um, and sometimes professional history. We do a lot of work with um, nonprofits, pro professional associations. There's a misconception uh, that, that is very common, which is that the only person who can write the hist our history is somebody who lived it. So, you know, they give somebody who's at the end of their career the job of writing the book, or they give the retiree the job of writing the book, or they give, uh, you know, a practitioner who is on the downslope and doesn't have a lot of patience, they give him the job of writing the book. Um, that's like the wor one of the worst things you can do usually, um, you know, because a, a those folks tend to be not to be good historians. Um, but mm -hmm. the most important thing is that that being a, a historian is about having perspective. You know, um, mm -hmm. it's not just about at, connecting up a lot of events and putting them in order. And you know, mentioning things like Pearl Harbor and the Great Depression, and and you know, John F. Kennedy and stuff like that. It's really about having a solid sense of the the context of you know the the economy, the politics, the culture, and and being able to figure out how, figure out how this institution fits into all that. And that's what historians can do. And most importantly, you know you can only have a good perspective by being outside. You know, if you're inside the organization, you really, you can't see the thing whole um, because you've been too close, mm -hmm. too involved. So, you know, that's a, a really important thing that we do is we kind of interpret to a general audience. Here's what this company, this organization does. Here's why it's really neat. Here's why it's important. Um, and it's not just some arcane business, but it, it's it's part of a much larger story, and and that makes it interesting. So mm -hmm. that's, I think that would be the number one thing for a business that wants to keep track of its history is is don't be afraid to you know to look outside and to to let outsiders take a look. Yeah, yeah, that's really good advice. 
it's interesting the the domestic estate management association is actually coming up on like its 10 year anniversary and i i think back over the 10 years how much history even in our short existence has existed there's new chapters the national convention suppliers guides our little podcast here I mean, they may seem insignificant individually, but when you compile them all together, they, they make a big, bigger story, just like what you were saying. And I think that's so very interesting. One of the things I want to ask you, though, is it seems like things are moving faster and faster. And I know that a lot of things are now done in a digital format. What What's going on in that realm as far as keeping track of things that are email and and text messages and all the digital things of the last 10 or 15 years. What are you guys finding in that regard? Yeah, well, that's a tough one for a, a veteran like me to wrap my head around. I mean, I I sometimes think that, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up working with paper and working with newspapers, and, and I wonder what it's going to look like for historians uh, 25, 30, 40 years from yeah, now. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I really do. Um you know, and but that's something we're really paying attention to. I mean, our, the director of our, our archives and records management group is is one of the top digital archivists in the in the nation. Um, you know, so we're on top of that. I think, and for digital content, it's it's much the same. Um, the, the the big concepts are the same. Uh, the techniques are a little different, but you know, protect the stuff, protect your data. Um, you know, digital content, it can be corrupted, right? It can, um, you've seen floppy disks with the, with the foil falling off, stuff like that, um, can be accidentally destroyed. So one of the keys is keep two copies, keep them in different places, you know, put one off the on the cloud. But absolutely get all that old stuff off CDs, floppy disks, stuff like that. Um, also, you know, restrict uh, restrict uh, the ability to read, write, uh, delete stuff. That's something to, mm -hmm. to watch for up front. Um, and common sense, you know, keep it organized. We've all seen the, the horrible folders full of r thousands of random whatever. Um, it's, it's, if at all possible, set up a simple folder structure, something that is intuitive. Maybe it's the same kind of categories that you use for paper records. Um, that's one of the steps you need to do. Um, and another one is, you know, make sure things are in a widely adopted file format. Um, mm -hmm. You know, all the old WordPerfect documents should have been migrated into Word by now. Um, better mm -hmm. yet, PDF. Um, you know, PDF is the go-to format for documents, and that's probably where, where you might want to keep your stuff. Same thing for, for images, you know. Get rid of right. the old proprietary photo um, and type files and turn them all into TIFFs, something universal. Mm -hmm. And again, mm -hmm. like I said before, you know, make sure somebody knows what's, where it is and, and what you have um, because it's not, not any good if nobody knows. And, and you can get, this is the kind of thing where you can take those steps up front. Once you get a sizable collection and it starts to get unwieldy, then you can invest in a digital asset management uh, system and that'll help you optimize stuff and help you deal with huge quantities of electronic records. But, uh, you know, it's something that you can work with an expert to, to look into. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. That's really good advice. I wanted to ask you, I've, uh, I've been involved with Toastmasters international over the years. And one of the, the skills that Toastmasters helps people to develop is their ability to be uh, storytellers. And I, I know you've mentioned a couple of times so far in our interview that what you're doing is really telling stories. 
Um, what I'm curious to know is, is that we're working with, you know, a lot of high profile individuals and every once in a while, there's a little scandal that goes on in a high profile person's life. Are you ever asked to kind of put a spin on the history of a person? And how do you deal with that ethical question? I mean, you know, how, how do you, how do you deal with that as an historian? It's, um, that's a tough one. That's a tricky one. Um, and yeah, it's you know sometimes there's that really unfortunate scandal. Um, sometimes it's it's not even that. I mean, everybody spins a story whether they mean to or not, right? Everybody's got their own perspective. That's one reason why we we want to we want to do multiple interviews, use multiple sources of information, you know, and you try to triangulate and and figure out what the mean is, what, what what's what's really true from all those perspectives. Um, but, and, and so actually most of the pressure that we get is, is something a little more subtle. It's, it's sort of like, you know, so-and-so thinks that his version of, of the company story is the right one. And the reason we made this big move was this, and somebody else says, no, it was this. Um, mm. but we do get, we do get the, the scandals, the incidents, um, you know, and, and there are good reasons for parts of a story not to be told. You know, we understand legal considerations, uh, consent degrees, stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think history works for people in this way. Um, You know, almost every institution, every individual, if you look at their record as a whole, broad perspective within the context of their times, uh, the, the the cultural constraints, what they had to work with. If you look at things in those terms, the story is inevitably almost overwhelmingly a good one. Um, yes, there might be an incident or two here or there, and if it was long enough ago, it it becomes a really important part of the story, uh, you know. And and it's generally from a lessons learned perspective. Um, this is this is something that happened, uh, and here's how we recovered from that. You know, the best stories that we've we've ever told are the ones where something somebody makes a big mistake and builds back. <laughs> you know, uh, a, a company or an individual who does everything right all the time. It's, it's tough to get a lot of drama in there. But uh, I think I think the key is perspective, and and you have to work with your client on that. Ultimately, it's their their product. They they, they pay for it. Uh, but we almost never hit a point where we can't sort of come to an understanding of, of, of a good uh, interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that's quite a good story. I mean, I, I, one of the things that I, the association is trying to do is um, really instill uh, a high sense of professionalism and, and um, quality standards amongst its members and, um, I know that having high ethical standards is a very important part of what the Domestic Estate Management Association is about. How does professionalism play into your industry and play into your company? Give us some thoughts. Give us share. We try to ask all of our guests yeah. about their thoughts on professionalism. What, what would you say about that? It's it's extremely important to us um, for maybe a reason you, you you wouldn't think of immediately. But history is something that everybody thinks they can do. Um, and and some can can do it usually badly. Um, <laughs> so there are those amateurs who who for certain reasons can do it well. But but history is something everybody thinks we can do. They can do, and we've seen a lot of history projects. Um, people come to us for advice, 
maybe a proposal. They go ahead way and do it themselves, and it's you know nobody nobody can nobody likes it. Um, we've repaired some of those. We've often torn them down and rebuilt them. That's actually happened. Um, the people who come to us appreciate professionalism, though. It's, it's really interesting. There's mm-hmm. some reason they chose to work with a historian, a professional historian, a professional archivist. And sometimes they're not even sure why, but they figure it out as we go through the process. You know, there's, there's the simple stuff like, uh, like strict confidentiality. But then there's the stuff that they, they didn't expect, like the sophisticated use of sources, figuring out how to really wring the essentials out of a document, knowing how to conduct a really good interview where the interviewee is remembering things he or she didn't even know he remembered, um, mm. and, and bringing the context to the story, knowing that this, this big thing that happened to you in, 19, in the fall of 1973 um, it didn't happen just because of something you did. It happened because, you know, the Arab oil embargo or something like that. But, but knowing to bring that information and, and being able to draw on that to tell a, tell a compelling story. Um, you know, so usually our clients are, understand completely the professionalism of a historian when we're done with the process, um, much more than they do when we're starting. Yeah. So really what it sounds like you're saying is, is both – attitude towards your work but also competence in accomplishing the work as well and yeah that, that's, that's really absolutely right for sure yeah yep. one last quick question before we go today we'd like our ask to ask our guests about trends that they see in the industry what do you see happening in the private history world going forward over the next five to ten years yeah well you know i think i think that the thing is that has been happening and i think it started uh back around the time the company was was founded but in, in the area of, of what you call private history, which I think is a very good word, I think the trend is democratization. You know, there was a time when history was only for the, the wealthiest, the most celebrated, the big firms, the big families, you know. And that's, you know, to some extent, that's still true today. You know, everybody wants to read about Walmart and Apple. Um, but Today there are firms like ours that can bring, you know, really solid historical skills to a broad spectrum of companies and a, and a, a large number of high net worth individuals. You don't have to be out there on the pinnacle so that, you know, the historians the, uh, will, will be coming to you. Um, you, you, can, you can seek them out. You can seek us out. Uh, that's, that's one trend, I think. And another one is obviously is technology you know at once it was always the book um and there were there were times when i thought the books would go away they didn't um but still more and more history is being made accessible on the web and uh mm-hmm. we, we were kind of talking about you know the, the digital age the and the history and and that's that's coming and that's happening to us and and that's a growth area for us is sort of conceptualizing and, and figuring out how to tell the story in a completely different way on the web. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, it's just amazing to me to think about how fast things are moving. Keeping up with everything is becoming more and more challenging. And I'm sure as an historian that, that, that comes into play even more. So, yep. Ken, I wanted to just thank you so much for today. You've had a lot of great points that you brought out for us. Before we go, can you uh, just share with us your contact information and how people can get in touch with you? Your website? Yeah, sure thing. 
Yeah. We're always available on the web at www.historyassociates.com. On our phone number is 301-279-9697. We are in the D.C. area in Rockville, Maryland. And uh, my email address is on the website if folks want to contact me directly. And if you go to the website, you'll find all kinds of information about uh, history, archives, uh, exhibits, and anything else. That's great. Well, that's our show for today. Uh, If you have any questions regarding how you can become more involved in your local chapter of the Domestic State Management Association, or if you'd like to, if you have questions about the private service industry, feel free to contact us at info at domesticmanagers.com. If you'd like to be a guest on uh, an upcoming show, if you have a suggestion for a potential topic or guest you'd like us to uh, cover, uh, please contact, contact us at that same email address. If you can't catch the live show on Wednesdays here at noon Eastern time, or if you'd like to listen to a previous episode, uh, the show is available as a podcast on blogtalkradio.com and on iTunes. Uh, if you subscribe to the show, uh, you'll be notified when, uh, when we post each new episode. Uh, my name is DJ 